you know the drill. Turn to Proverbs with me. And uh, Lord willing, we will finish Proverbs chapter 3. Terry, I'm catching up on you. You just finished chapter 3. We're going to chapter 4. So so um, as you're turning there, um, read an interesting article. Mother of two, B. Marshall believes you should never say no to your child. She is an advocate of a growing trend known as yes parenting, meaning that she never says no to her children. Uh, her children decide uh, when to go to bed. They decide if they want to do their homework. Alan, don't get any ideas, okay? We're not doing this. Um, serious, serious news. Uh, this is from um, uh, an article written by Sarah Bridge. April of 2014, Uh, here's the article. When B. Marshall found that her three-year-old son had cut through the wire of her mobile phone charger, she did not react as most other parents would. (laughs) It's, It's almost hard to read this seriously. Instead of being cross with him and telling him never to do such a thing again, Marshall simply said, wow, you really do want to cut through things and gave him a big bag of other things to chop up. Uh, She says, rather than disciplining her children, she lets them do whatever they want. This means that she routinely lets her children peep, nine, and Jose, seven, set their own bedtimes, decide whether or not they want to do their homework, and they even swear at her. They can watch television all night if they want to and eat ice cream for breakfast. And just for, for the young people in the room, just know, Grace Bible Church... In our constitution is against this, I think. Is that, is that how it goes, Pastor Terry, right? So don't get any ideas. This is illustrative only. Um, uh, the, the, the mother here, uh, B. Marshall, continues. I was a super nanny type of mother to begin with, says mother of two, uh, Marshall. There were lots of rules and regulations, and I was always saying no. Then for six weeks... I didn't say no to them at all, and it was just so different. (laughs) You wonder, is the house still standing? I don't know. She doesn't say about that. Um, Anyway, so she was on a show where she went back and forth with another expert. Uh, Let's see. So Yeah, I told you, when when her son uh, cut the phone charge wire, she went and collected a whole load of things with similar shape and feel for him to cut in the future. And um, anyway, she says, my response is instead to be there all the time for them. I think instead of saying no to children all the time, we need to equip them with the knowledge uh, of what boundaries are appropriate. That's the um, uh, the expert that's responding with her here. So, Okay, so uh, how many of you want to drop off your grandchildren with that lady this afternoon when... Uh, you're, you're going. Um, you know, this was, this was actually very popular in the mid-20th century with the advent of some new parenting psychology. Uh, when you study the history of psychology, uh, parental psychology is one of sort of the last stages of the modern psychological movement. So it, it really began to develop in the 60s, in the 70s, uh, on into the 80s. And, um, and this, this was a real fad back then about, you know, if, if you... If you discipline your child, if you set down rules, if you tell them no, you are going to scar them psychologically. And uh, and, and this goes. There's a whole there's a whole psychological uh, 
trail you can go back and i won't bore you with the the psychological history but 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 the 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 thinking on this is children must be allowed to express themselves they must be allowed to do whatever they want to do and that leads to wholeness and psychological health and when mom and dad the bad guys come in and suppress that and do things like set down rules and guidelines and say no and you know discipline them when they they violate those that, that you you are hurting them psychologically and and that actually in 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 some of these circles it's the parents imposition of rules and regulations and discipline that causes adult psychological problems so the solution is to go back in parenting and say, we got this whole thing wrong. We need to let them do whatever we want to do. We need to not not impose any sort of guidelines or restrictions. Certainly we don't want to discipline them. And when we just totally take our hands off the parenting wheel, then our children will grow up to be whole and healthy. And you almost wonder, do the people that believe that, have they ever been parents? You know, I'm, th- this 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 sounds like somebody that obviously has never had a child in their home, or at least uh, not for very long. Um, so, so young people, uh, teenagers, we've talked about how this book is particularly written for you. It really is written for a teenage audience, a young adult audience, and and of course it, it has a secondary purpose in that it, it really becomes uh, one of the the most important books on parenting for those of us that are parents or grandparents, as we we hear what God says. Uh, to young people, and then uh, you know the, the whole the whole book of Proverbs is somewhat of an eavesdropping uh, type of book where we look over the shoulder of a parent, a guy named Solomon, and then a couple other uh, accomplices who write parts of the book of Proverbs. We as parents in the 21st century, looking over the shoulder of this ninth century parent, and we see well, what does it mean to honor God in our parenting, or even in our grandparenting? And uh, what we're going to see is that God has something very different to say than be Marshall. Uh, we have seen from the very first chapter of Proverbs chapter 1 that children do not automatically grow up to become what God wants them to become. That's why he invented parents. A parent is somebody who helps to raise and to train and to steer the direction of a child's life toward the gospel and toward godliness, whereas in our hearts, all children when they're born into the world are born with a heart bent on selfishness and ungodliness, rejecting their creator and wanting to be their own boss and go their own way. So if you do what B. Marshall says to do and you take your hand off the steering wheel of parenting, your children will go in the direction of their natural depravity. And not only that, untempered by parenting, even even non-Christian parents, even even parents that are just trying to be moral, just trying to give something of some, some guidance, some rules, some instruction in, in the common grace of God, even that in a, in a, a common grace degree limits to some, to some degree the expression of that child's depravity as they grow than if you just totally take your hands off the thing and let them go the way. Um, you guys know the, the proverb, it's uh, Proverbs 22, 5, I think, um, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And uh, a lot of parents think that that's a, that's a promise. You know, if, if I do what's right as a parent, my kid will turn out okay. And that's actually not what the text means. It actually is a warning. Uh, 
it says if you let a child grow up according to his own way, is literally what the Hebrew says. If you let a child go the way of his own depraved heart, when he is old, guess what? It's going to be really, really hard to get him off that road. Okay, again, so we don't want to follow the, the popular counsel of uh, B. Marshall or, you know, popular shows like uh, Dr. Phil or Oprah or, you know, the, the parenting magazine, popular parenting blogs of, of experts and modern psychologists that, that throw out this, this foolish, ridiculous counsel. Uh, we want to follow the word of God. And, and, and I'm here to tell you... Um, and, and please don't take my word for this, that it is God's will. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a great-grandparent, if you're a great-grandparent, it is God's will for you to tell your children no. Okay? We need to do that sometimes. Now, that doesn't mean that's all we do. But what we're going to see in Proverbs chapter 3 today is there are things that are essential that we warn our children about. We say, do not do this. This is bad for you. If you know, you don't see the danger in this now. I understand that. But this is really, really dangerous. Do not do that. A godly parent is a parent who knows when to say no about the right things in their home. And we'll see several examples of that today. So Proverbs chapter 3. Um, we, we began last time a, uh, a section that starts a series of do nots. Okay, we're going to see do not, do not, do not. It's like he gets out his his uh, parenting uh, uh, shotgun here, and he's just going to fire off a number of rounds. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. Totally obliterating, by the way, by the, way the theology of the modern parent, parental psychologists and child psychologists that say you should never do that. Uh, we, we understand that. Um, uh, we must obey God rather than men, and the Word of God in its wisdom and its instruction is what we want to follow, not popular fads in parenting. So look with me uh, at Proverbs chapter 3. Last time we looked at the first do not in verses 25 and 26, uh, don't be afraid of fear, right? And uh, now let's pick it up in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways, for the devious are an abomination to the Lord." But he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. This is God's word, and you'll notice in there the imperatives, okay? So let's follow God's lead in terms of how we parent. Let's not follow uh, the modern... Uh, expert, so to speak, in that. Uh, so notice with me uh, that the title of the message today uh, is called Relating to Others. And, and, and young people, you, you recognize that when uh, when you go out in the world, and even now you understand this at some level, God intends for you to operate in an environment of people. Uh, people are our neighbors that God calls us to love as the second great commandment. People are the mission field, which is why God leaves us here as believers to minister the gospel to others. So, so 
whatever you think God's will for your life, teenager, is to learn how to relate in godly ways to people around you. Now, now, old people, parents, grandparents, uh, the rest of us, uh, we recognize this is true for us also, that God intends for us to relate to the people around us in ways that bring God glory and are conducive to ministry. And, uh, and we have a really important role here, not just to be teaching our children how to relate to people, but also to model that. In fact, you know, how you act when the checker at Walmart is a little slower and gives you back the wrong amount of change parents more strongly than your family worship lesson that night probably so we, we remember that that deuteronomy 6 we, we want to be uh what does he say these words which i'm commanding you today mom and dad shall be on your heart in terms of how we live and then you shall teach them, teach them diligently to your children so we want to keep that in mind okay let's look at the first of several commands here uh, number one do not withhold good do not withhold good. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. And right here, you may notice we have a translation issue. Uh, if you have a NASB, an ESV, or New King James, you'll notice it says to uh, uh, those to whom it is due. Do not withhold good to those from those to whom it is due. And if you have a, a New Living version, it says those who deserve it. And uh, you say, well, are those the same thing? They're sort of the same thing, but the, the New Living translates it a bit stronger, and I'll show you what I mean. I think uh, e- either translation, and really it's, it's, it's a translation issue based on a, an interpretive issue. We have to decide you know, which is the right way to interpret it here, and both are legitimate. Both are legitimate in the text. So let, let's talk about um, the, the two possibilities. Okay, One possibility is this. Don't delay to give others what they deserve. Don't delay to give others what they deserve. And by context, we're going to see this little word show up here uh, in verse uh, 27, uh, or excuse me, verse 28. It's that little word neighbor. Do you see that there? Neighbor? And, And that, I'm here to tell you, neighbor in the Bible does not only mean the people that live next door to you or across the street from you. What does neighbor mean in the Bible? Yeah, people you're in contact with. Yeah, re- really anybody that you come in contact with, right? So, so this word, this Hebrew word can be translated uh, friend, neighbor, acquaintance, any of those things. And so when, when God says, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, and you remember the in the Gospels, well, who then is my neighbor, right? And, and the story of the Good Samaritan was not about the guy that lives next door. It's about the guy that you happen upon in the normality of the things of life that you're involved in. So just keep that in mind. And the principle here is don't delay to give to others what they deserve. And, uh, and uh, young people, just think with me for a little bit. What, what, were, what are some contexts where we could say uh, we, we would fail in that? We would not give to others quickly what is deserved. You know, you see the context here. It says, you know, if something good to give them when it's due to them. It's in your power to do it. You have it, but you say, eh, why don't you come back tomorrow and I'll do it. So you're, you're delaying what that person deserves, okay? What are some contexts here? Um, here's a few ideas, and then you can think of maybe a few of your own. How about paying your bills on time? That's a great example, where, where you're doing something that you're supposed to do. It's in your power to do it. You're supposed to do that, but 
being late with those sorts of things would be a violation of this principle. Okay? Or returning borrowed items in a timely fashion. That's, that's less significant, but it still fits the principle. Don't withhold good. Don't do what you ought to do in terms of what that person deserves, um, if it's in your power to do it. Okay? Um, other ideas before we move on? Young people, teenagers, this is your hour, so what do you think? Do not withhold good to whom it is due. Old people? Examples? Yes? Well, one thing I can think of is not something you put your hands on, but everyone is doing respect. Okay. So sure. Sometimes we may withhold respect to somebody that we really don't even know. Yeah, so, so that, uh, what, what Nick said was respect. We owe everyone respect. And that's actually one of the one another commands, right? You know, respect what is right in the sight of men. So, yeah, we, we, we see a, an attitu- attitudinal version of this command, especially in the New Testament. So, yeah, that's good. There's a whole part of this that relates to your attitude yes okay thanking someone okay good okay now the yes tony what's that offering to help yeah exactly and the other way you can take this verse that that little phrase those who deserve it implies that you're obligated to do something for that person there's some sort of formal relationship the other way to take this verse is to take it in an informal way so it would be translated something like this when it's in your power to help someone in need do it and don't delay that's the other way you can take it just in a general thing you know you see it's the good samaritan at this point right you know you see somebody that has a need there's no formal obligation but you see someone in need it's in your power to help so you go help them and, and young people, if this is the way we understand it, and obviously, actually, both of these are biblical, by the way. It's a question of what is this verse actually getting at. Both of these are biblical. So you should do both of these, even though we're not quite sure what Solomon's intent here is. And, and, and teenagers, this is just the principle that says you should be the type of person that is looking to help others. Right? You, sh- you should go through life not with tunnel vision thinking it's my life and my stuff and my calendar and my agenda and, and my money and, and it's just me, 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 me. But, but to open your eyes and, uh, and in fact Terry talked about this uh, just a couple Sundays ago that the Son of Man, Jesus came not to be served but to do what? But to serve. And so when, when we look at life as an opportuni- opportunity to serve others and we don't delay... How many, t- how many times do you think, oh... That person has a need, or you know, and maybe it's the proverbial, you know, the the old lady that has the flat tire on the side of the road, or you know, and we think, well, I can do that. How many times do we say, I can do that, and we go right by? And that's what this verse is saying. It's saying if it's in your power to do it, do it, and don't come back tomorrow and say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. It, it, it's the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And when we look at life as an opportunity to serve, we are being like Christ. And, and hopefully we put on display that attribute of him that, that may even help people to see Jesus in us and be attracted to Christ. Yes, sir. I just want to touch my heart that I'm guilty of it. And that's in the grocery store, any place where someone can get in your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Letting, letting them go. Yeah. Letting them go first in the grocery store. Being thankful. Yes. Right. That's right. Yeah. We don't. We're not demanding other people to 
to do what we want, to get out of our way. Exactly, we're letting them go first. So yeah, so young people, here, here we go. Right? When, it's in your, when it's in your power to help someone in need, do it and don't delay. And, and you, you may say, well, I don't have a ton of money and I may not even have a car. And I, That's okay. You, you have, in your life, you have enough talent and resources and ability to help your neighbor when they're in need. Okay, so let's look for opportunities to do that. Number two, do not devise evil. Verse 29, do not devise harm against your neighbor when he lives securely beside you. And you say, well, I would never devise evil against my neighbor. Well, I hope that that's true. But if I'm being honest and if you're being honest, there are times that we devise evil against other people. Okay, it may not be high-handed, you know, uh, you know, extorting money from them or something, you know, crazy like that. But, but think, think about how we can devise evil against other people in these garden variety ways. What about manipulation? Have you ever done anything to sort of manipulate another person to ensure that you get your way? Um, I'll, can, I, can I just tell you a way I was tempted? Um, I had to return a product recently to a store and I thought I had 30 days to do it and I had 15. And I got there on day 16. And I didn't know that till like I'm there talking to the person. And I'll tell you, in, in that moment, you know what I was tempted to do? Make up something. You know, I didn't know. I didn't read my receipt. I, you know, it, it, I just want to tweak it just a little bit that builds my case for why I should have an extra day to return the product. You ever done that? Okay. Little, little things of manipulation. Now, this person actually was very gracious and said, okay, we'll take it back. So God works, right? But the little, little forms of manipulation, that's devising evil against your neighbor. How about this? Taking advantage of people. And again, it may not be high-handed, you know, stealing or robbery or arson or something like that, um, but just doing little things so that I have a little bit of an advantage at another person's expense. Deceiving or lying. That's an opportunity, right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bend the truth a little bit. I'm just gonna deceive a little bit. I'm just gonna tell half the story a little bit so that what I did doesn't seem so bad in order to use you a little bit again to get what I want. Okay? So you see, this is, this is normal temptation for many of us. How about this? Devising evil also would include gossiping and slandering. Saying things behind people's back that are, that are, um, ungodly or unhelpful or, or confidential. Um, good night. Social media is a gossip and slandering engine for the 21st century. Um, so we have to be very careful about how we talk about others. That's a way, when we talk about others in an ungodly way, that is a way that we devise evil. Or cheating. Um, and teenagers, I know you're never, never tempted to do this, but you know when you cheat in some way, you're devising evil against your neighbor who happens to be your teacher, right? So do you see? And, and this is not exhaustive at all, but just some ideas. How easy do you think? Why well, I don't? I've never thought about burning down my neighbor's house. Well, good. I'm glad you've never thought about doing that. But think of think of this stuff. And you will see that we are tempted to take advantage of people, to use them, to manipulate, to lie, to deceive, to gossip, you know, whatever, the, the more everyday type of temptation. Uh, and that would be included in this bucket called devising evil. Now, now notice this, while he dwells securely together with you. 
You know, that, that, when I'm taking my product back and I'm tempted to deceive this person or manipulate this person a little bit so I can have an extra day to get back, that, that, that dear person working in customer service has never done anything to me. And here I am being tempted to take advantage of them. You see, and that, that's Solomon's point is, you know, they're hanging out with you. They're not, they're dwelling securely with you. And notice, that's not a condition, but an encouragement. In other words, Solomon is not t- saying his son, well, if your neighbor is a real jerk, then you can take advantage. You can, it's okay to d- devise evil. It's not, it's not a condition. What he's saying, it's an encouragement. Think about the other person. And, uh, and even if they are a person that maybe is difficult, we, we, we sometimes have difficult people to relate to, it's probably a person in need of the gospel um, that, that we're called to minister to and love and, and uh, Christ-like uh, help there. So, Okay, so don't devise evil. There, there's another thing that we want to be careful not to do. Do not contend. Look at verse 30. Do not contend with a man without causes if he has done you no harm. Uh, what does contend mean? Uh, contend can mean a couple of things. It can mean brawling or fighting, like, like literally getting into an argument, even, even a, a physical argument. Uh, it, it can be quarreling just going back and forth verbally. And, and the word contend in Hebrew has another meaning. It can actually mean to contend in a lawsuit. So it, it could be as simple, uh, teenagers, as getting into a verbal argument uh, on the football field with someone. Or it could be as technical as taking somebody to court, suing them in an ungodly way. And uh, we don't have time to do this, but if you if you look, just you can write down First Corinthians chapter six as a cross reference. Uh, that's a text that explicitly deals with the issue of Christians and lawsuits, when and when not those are honoring to the Lord. So it could mean any of those things, but but the principle is, you know, don't argue with somebody, don't fight with somebody, don't take them to court don't, without cause if he has never done evil. Now, now, young people, you say, why is this important? Because we live in a society that wants to sue the pants off everybody for every little problem. It's like, if, if here's what the world says. Um, if, when I have a problem, I go to my problem-solving toolbox. And the first tool in the world's problem-solving toolbox is you take them to court. And um, I don't know if, if you know anything about, you know, uh, just basic court cases and, and uh, you know... Um, you know, uh, property court, things like that. But, but, you know, people do this over the silliest, stupidest things. And that's part of what this is saying is that's not how you solve your problems if you want to be somebody that walks with God, if, if you're representing uh, the Lord in your life. Um, I'm not saying there's never a time when a lawsuit can't be appropriate. And again, that's, a, that's another conversation for another day. What this is saying is it's not the main way you should go about solving your problem. That's in that technical sense. In the less technical sense, what this verse is saying or could be saying is you don't solve your problem by getting into an argument with somebody. And certainly, don't be an argumentative person. That's what it says. Without cause. This person has never done anything to you, and you're kind of being a bully. You know, you're kind of being argumentative. And you know, maybe, you're, maybe you're really good with your words, or maybe you're big and strong, and, and maybe you have talents and skills that you can use against somebody in an argument, uh, whether physically or verbally. So an ungodly lawsuit would be an example. Picking fights, being argumentative, uh, those would be uh, some examples of uh, what not to do.
Okay, last do not, verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. Okay, so last one, don't envy an ungodly man. The, the phrase there, man of violence, could mean a violent man in particular, as the NASB translates it, or just an ungodly man. So so here's, uh, and, and uh, old people, I'm going to talk to the kids for a second here, okay? Um, teenagers, th- this is such a temptation. I, I, I don't, as I started thinking about this, I thought, th- this is huge in your life. Um, the temptation is to follow the bad example, uh, or the, the temptation is to envy an ungodly person. Envy somebody who is a bad example in their words or actions, priorities, decisions, and values. And Solomon is saying, do not follow their example. And you say, no. Where do we see some of those things? Well, think with me about this. How about musicians and movie stars? And you think, wow, that guy is awesome, or that lady is an awesome actress, and you know, I, I love the way that guy plays guitar, and I love the way that, that, that band sings, and I love that sound. And, and you get to know some of those people, and they're some of the most ungodly, like depravity-unleashed sort of people. Um, or what about this? Sports heroes. Okay, I'm, uh, ladies, just sit tight for a minute. I'm talking to the guys for a minute. Who's that? Michael Vick. What's he most famously or infamously known for? Dog fighting. Okay, a criminal. Very talented football player and a criminal. Pete Rose. What's he famous for? Yeah, cheating, gambling, tax evasion. Okay. A little closer to home. Who's that? Michael Irvin. He's still around, isn't he? Well, actually, all these guys are still around. But um, what, what's he uh, most famous for? Do you know? Yeah, major, major cocaine use. In the 90s, I don't know how many... Uh, court appearances he made serious serious drug problem and and i'm not trying to pick on these three guys this is this is illustrative this is this is just a sampling of sports okay and guys i know i know how it is these guys are off the chart talented on the field aren't they these are very very talented people who god has gifted you know like like no other athletes and the temptation is yeah right i want to be like that no, you don't want to be like that. Because what God says matters more than RBIs and caught passes and yards cumulative is the character of the man. What are these men like? And if you're not careful, you get into the music industry, you get into the sports field, and some some of you are pretty talented people, you know? And 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 we could see, you know, this being something that uh, you know, as you get involved in these things, uh, you will be around people that are amazing on the field and incredibly ungodly off the field. Um, so don't don't be tempted by that. That's what this that's what this is saying. It's it's saying, don't envy an ungodly man. Don't look at that and say, I want to be like that. You do not want to be like that. And and praise God, we have we have wonderful examples 
of talented people, whether it's actors and actresses, whether it's musicians, whether it's sports figures, that are wonderful models to follow because they're also people of at least moral character. And, and several athletes are wonderful Christian men and women. Um, but again, teenager, the temptation will be to say, if I could just be like that, and what Solomon is saying is, you, you, need, to, you need to sever that impulse in your heart. Because you do not want to be, you, you do not really want to be like that. You know, one of the reasons so many of these guys get into drugs is the pressure of the industry that they're involved in. And what they're doing is they are compromising character and integrity in order to excel in their field. Uh, and again, teenagers, what this book is saying is you should not be willing to sacrifice who you are as a person, who God wants you to be in your character for success. You do not say, I will pursue success at all costs. And that's what most of these people have done, unfortunately. Okay, So being a man of character, even if you don't have the statistics in sports uh, that you would desire, is what honors God and brings attention to Him, not, not how many yards that you achieve. Okay, So be careful of that. Now, we can also do other examples. Ungodly friends. And this, this may be people that you know uh, at school, uh, on your sports teams, in the community, ungodly friends who are talented, good-looking, popular, influential. And, and you know how it is. Oh, if I had that guy's, uh, you know, the, 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 the influence that he has, you know, the popularity that he has, or, or ladies, you think, oh, if I, should, if I could just look like her, if I could be as pretty as, as, as she is. And, and you have this, this envy of people, and I'm not saying all those people are horrible, but if they're ungodly people, you, again, you want to cut off that, 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 in, that impulse to envy people that are ungodly. And now, if this, if this word references violence, then we're thinking about guys like bullies or sports thugs, cinema heroes who win by violence, other things like that, okay? So don't envy ungodly men. And, and I think for young people, that's a particular, uh, particular, I can't talk today. It's particularly difficult in terms of the temptation there, okay? Now, Let's look at Yahweh's evaluation. We, we've seen these do-nots. And again, teenager, it's important to see that when your parents, reflecting the Bible, say, do not do this. When your parents say, this is a rule or guideline that we have based on God's word, they're not, they're not just saying those things because they say, you know, there, there's, there's Max Festmeyer back there. I want to make Max's life just absolutely miserable. I really do. You know, um, the Wallace boys there, we, we just want to, you know, Miss Wallace there, she, 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 Mr. Miss Wallace, they're just thinking, we just want to make our kids miserable, right? We just want to come up with rules. Okay, Young people, that's not why your parents are doing these things. They're doing it because they love you, and they're doing it because they're standing on the authority of the Word of God. So when you hear from your parents, do not, do not, do not, do not, listen very closely, listen very closely. What they are communicating is actually what God thinks about the situation. And that's where our, our author here is going to go. He's going to show us God's evaluation. Why should you not do these things? Because of what God thinks about them. Listen to what God thinks about them. Look at verse uh, 32. Um, For the devious are an abomination to the Lord. Um, and, and again, young person, that word abomination is one of the strongest words in the whole Bible 
for something that God hates. It's an abomination. You know, if you could, if you could catalog what are the things that God despises, that God hates, that God opposes, that word abomination describes those things. Now listen, young person, listen. The devious are an abomination to the Lord. What is he saying? If you do not follow the counsel of those do nots, God says, I'm opposed to that. That life is an abomination to me, God says. So you, you do not want to be in an arena where God says, that's an abomination. I hate that. So, so notice by context, the crooked, the wicked, the scoffers, the fools, those are all synonyms for, for the ungodly man that we're talking about in the context, okay? Describe those who do not follow the instructions of 27 to 31. Okay, the do not, do not, do not, do not. Okay? Now, the wicked, it says here, are an abomination to the Lord. Not only is the word strong, Solomon does something. He takes the word abomination, he pushes it all the way to the beginning of the sentence. Teenagers, have your parents ever said with a stern look and a raised voice, please do not do that? You ever done that? That's what Solomon's doing here. He's raising his voice a bit. He's being emphatic. By moving that word to the front of the sentence, he says, son, this is an abomination to your God. You do not want to do those things. Because of what God thinks. But notice this. Notice, it's not just, that's horrible, don't do it. Notice the put on. Notice the positive part of this. But the righteous, meaning those who, who heed those instructions, the righteous, the text tells us, um, see, my, my Bible says, my version says, um, he is intimate with the upright. The word intimate means in his inner circle. They're close to him. The, the proximity is, is close. They're, they're close to God. They're a part of his inner circle. They're near to him. And, and you think about that, young person, something as simple as these, these regular things that we're talking about here, it can be something that God hates or God says, you can be close to me by grace through faith in conversion and then by following these principles in sanctification. Um, Notice, and that's not, that's not enough. He says it again. The house of the wicked are under his curse. And again, that word curse is moved to the head of the sentence in order to emphasize it. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked. I, I mean, think about this. Do you really want the curse of Almighty God on your household? That's what he's saying. And, and, and again, teenager, that, that's not meant only to scare you. I mean, it, it ought to go, oh man, that's, that's heavy. But look at the blessing. The wicked are an abomination. The righteous are in his inner circle. The house of the wicked are under his curse. But he blesses the house of the righteous. And Solomon says to his boys, why would you not choose the blessing of God on your life? Why would you not want to be in that inner circle. But that goes back to the whole message of the book of Proverbs. Which path are you choosing? Are you choosing to trust the Lord, to walk with Him in wisdom, or are you choosing the path that most young people go down? Um, that is 
That is God's evaluation of this. Okay? Now watch this. He cranks it up one more notch, but he's not done. Verse 34. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. God himself, and, and, and there's something here going on in the Hebrew text, and I've tried to bring it out in bold-facing in your notes. God himself, surely, the word himself and the word surely emphasize again the seriousness of this. God himself surely despises people who live like this, who mock and who pridefully turn away from Yahweh. That's what the word scoffer means. Prideful scorn. Um, uh, exalted uh, mocking, if you will, where we scoff at the... Th- and young people, you know how this works. You read the Bible and you're talking to your friends and, and they mock what the Word says, don't they? They think, ah, oh, that's old, that's that's stupid, that, that's not fun, that, that's archaic. You know, they, they, they write it off, they mock it. And that, that's exactly what Solomon is talking about here is what goes on on the football field. It's what goes on in the classroom when you're trying to talk about your friends about the things of God and they mock it. And this verse says, God despises, surely himself despises those who mock pridefully and turn away from his word. But, and you'll recognize this verse, he gives grace to the humble and needy. That should be needy, not needed. You remember uh, James 4? God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. That's where this verse comes from. He gives grace. The word means grace. Uh, my version says he gives grace to the afflicted. That could be afflicted, could be humble. Um, those who humble themselves under God's counsel, as we see here. So, conclusion. The wise inherit glory. And this is, you notice, all the emphasis, all the bold-facing has been on the negatives. And here, the Lord, uh, through the pen of Solomon, is going to bold-face something positive. It's the word glory. It's the word honor or weight. The wise inherit honor. The wise inherit weightiness. There's a, uh, there's a, um, a spiritual weight and significance to living this way. And that's attractive. That, that, that's supposed to attract you and say, I want a life that brings honor to the Lord and exemplifies the weighty character of God. I mean, young person, do you want to be the type of person that people see the Lord Jesus in you? That's what this is talking about. The, the person that walks in the way of wisdom inherits this great weight and honor. But... The text says, the stupid exalt shame and disgrace. And, and if, if that's a, 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 if you don't like that word, that's fine. That's what the word means in Hebrew. It's not, a, it's not a derogatory term. It's saying, that is somebody who has foolishly gone the way of his own sinful nature, has mocked and scorned at the God of the Bible and his word. And God says, if that's how you want to live, your life will ultimately bring shame and disgrace. And, and, and you know what, young person, can you see that? Michael Irvin's testimony, Michael Vick's testimony, O.J. Simpson, that's an extreme example, isn't it? Pete Rose, all these guys, what do they do? They've got these wonderful statistics, and what are they known for? As soon as I put their picture up, what did you think about? Did you think all those yards that Michael Vick has thrown for and run for? No, you thought of the dogfighting, and that's the point of this verse. You end up exalting your own shame and your own disgrace. 
And Solomon says, young people, please think about that. Take that to heart and heed the ways of the Lord. Trust him and follow him and you will be a person who exemplifies not the foolishness of the world, but the honor of the Lord Jesus himself. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the admonitions of these verses, just uh, shot after shot after shot of, of to not do these things that are such temptations, not just for young people, but for us old people as well. And Uh, So how we pray that you would give us wisdom to see that Yahweh himself considers these things an abomination. Uh, Lord, we help us to take that to heart. Help us to, to let your evaluation be the weightiest motivation in our lives and that we would, by grace through faith, choose the way of the Lord. And with your grace and help, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the way of wisdom. Lord, I pray for our young people. Would you, would you burn these things into their hearts that they would follow you in trust and in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.